Saturday with Colm O'Mungon on RTE Radio 1. Hello again. Now, when you go in to cast your vote this coming June, one of the ballot papers handed to you at the polling station will list out the candidates running for your local city or county council. There are a total of 949 councillors sitting on 31 councils across the country, but whether they have power sufficient to affect change and to improve their areas is a matter of debate and difference of opinion. What there is widespread agreement on is that the role, if taken seriously, is demanding, is underpaid and that councillors are experiencing the same kind of online abuse and security concerns we hear about from those with seats in the Dáil and Shannon. And I'm joined now by four councillors from across the political divide. They're Dan Boyle, Green Party councillor in Cork City, Emma Blaine, Fine Gael councillor for Dunleary Rathdown, Fiona McLaughlin-Healy, independent TD in Kildare and Dahi Doolan, who's a Sinn Féin councillor on Dublin City Council. Thanks very much for coming. In. Happy New Year to you all. Yeah, yeah. I want to first of all go to this issue of accommodation for asylum seekers and how that is uh, looked at on the local level because the arson attacks we're seeing uh, 20 in recent years. I'll ask you firstly, Dan Boyle, about this. Is there a fear now that if and when the Department of Integration selects a building in your area for accommodation of asylum seekers, you might see protests and even violence? There's a concern, uh, but I, I think we have to look at, at the wider aspect. In Cork City, we have a number of reception centres for uh, people uh, looking for international uh, security and status. Uh, and up until now, there hasn't been any uh, a- any protest outside of any of them, either in them being created or, or in their operation. There hasn't been some difficulty with the management internally, and some people availing of the services have had difficulties from time to time. Uh, outside of the city, we've seen difficulties in places like Formoy, uh, where there have been suggestions. Uh, but uh, having heard earlier contributions from uh, Senator Malcolm Byrne, ar- arson is a crime regardless of the motivation. Uh, and what we saw in Ring's End in particular was that the uh, it, it was emergency accommodation that was meant for a homeless hub for, for 14 families. Uh, and uh, given the motivation of some of these people, it, it's... It's the idea of something that can be exaggerated and used as a tool of information, misinformation, that that's really at fault here. Uh, and we really need to crack down on the, the actions of, of a, what is still a very small group of people. In Cork, the difficulty we've had is that they've, ch- they've chosen other issues as well. We've had intimidation of library workers uh, and people with uh, LGBT backgrounds because it suits the narrative that these people are wanting to create. It, it, it's, it's a question of political will and the ability of taking on this misinformation. Um, Dahi Doolan, uh, Dan Boyle mentioned Rings End there. That's a, an area indeed, but in, in, I suppose a former a part of your political career you, you used to represent. But would you be concerned that the ability of local councils, I mean, we have, you know, 13,500 people in emergency accommodation, 4,000 of them children. Councils are looking for venues for emergency accommodation. That any vacant property that's earmarked for any kind of emergency accommodation could find itself targeted. Absolutely, and there's a role for the Gardaí. When there are buildings being identified, we do need the Gardaí to be proactive and present. Um, and it's right, arson is wrong, it's illegal, and it shouldn't be happening. I condemn in the strongest possible terms anybody who carried out any arson attack, regardless of their motivation in Rings End or in Galway or anywhere else. It is wrong and we need to stand up to it. Now I would hope that we, we stand, all political parties, stand shoulder to shoulder against this. We have an obligation to provide emergency accommodation to uh, people arriving into the country and people in the country. And that's what we need to do. We need to show political leadership and we need to challenge these nasty, dangerous individuals who are more interested in sowing 
seeds of division and conflict rather than providing uh, positive solutions. And I'm involved in the politics of hope, solutions and a strategy to sort out the housing crisis. These people have no interest whatsoever of sorting out the housing crisis in Dublin. I've never met with them. I've never marched, shared demonstrations. That times when we were marching for housing, these people were not seen within, within a, a stone's throw of these marches because they're not interested. They'll sow seeds of division around libraries. They'll stop people accessing libraries. The school uh, curriculum, which has been reviewed, their focus is on that. Their focus is on the referendum in March. These people have no interest in working with others or rolling up their sleeves and providing solutions. It's to sow seeds of disinformation, conflict and division and they need to be opposed, challenged and and, and reduced to the rubbish bin of history. All right. Emma Blaine, um, there was, there's a, a former nursing home uh, set aside to, it's going to accommodate 220 asylum seekers uh, in the coming days in Balls Bridge. Gardaí are patrolling uh, at the moment on that. Would you be concerned that it, it may be targeted and what are you hearing, if, if anything, from people in the area? Well, the the good people of Bowlesbridge, I am sure, will be welcoming the people when they arrive. They're the most vulnerable people of our society. Um, I, I've always been proud when speaking to colleagues in Europe about how we are a nation of welcoming people. We've always welcomed people who are the most vulnerable. For the last couple of years, we've been hearing stories from other countries and I've always been proud to say, no, that's not happening here. And now I can't say that so assuredly. But I am sure that the people in Dublin 4 will welcome these people. But I think, as Dahi said and Dan said, it's really important that we all work together, especially as local representatives. Um, Just this week, um, a a video was shared within my local electoral group of local representatives of a a video of people intimidating the foreman of a construction site where it's not housing asylum seekers, but people, women who are seeking refuge. They were creating false information and spreading that. And we need to stand up to these because um, it's it's where the leaders of our local community, where the coal face of, of, of what's happening on the ground. And if we don't stand up, um, then who's going to stand up for these people? But there is a risk in that, um, as, as we'll probably discuss later, councillors, all politicians experience intimidation and harassment and a lot, a significant amount of our councillors have reported that they are being targeted specifically for standing up for immigrants and asylum seekers. So we need to just be brave when we're standing up. Uh, Fiona Lockenhealy, you're in in Kildare. It hasn't been immune from uh, protests at places that have been earmarked for uh, providing in international protection. Is it something your constituents approach you about? Do they have particular queries? And how do you al- try to allay concerns that are being raised with you or counter some of what we were talking about in, in the first part of the programme with Eileen Cullerty and Malcolm Byrne, some of the disinformation that's going around? I have to be honest, it's not one of the biggest issues that's brought to me personally, maybe because people would be aware of my my views in advance. But I think it's a conversation that sometimes is very difficult to have. Uh, You know, if you focus on, you know, anything got to do with immigration issues, you know, anything can be picked on by the far right and used to amplify their voices. And I think we're probably all of a similar view here. We don't want to amplify or amplify, you know, the views of the of the far right. And there's very much an, an opportunity. Mystic 
element to the whole thing of sort of, you know, fomenting dissent amongst the, the population and creating this fear. And I'm a person who hates when people are called trolls or, you know, and I, I, I know there are disingenuous people out there, but there's also genuine people who, for example, in Newbridge, like we had bought a building that we had tried to, to, to get for the community for years, a convent. And then very shortly afterwards, after the excitement of actually the council buying that building, we realised we had to use it to accommodate people from the Ukraine. There was absolutely no issues at all. And those people integrated very quickly and very well and were welcomed into the community by the Is people Is that because, in was that decision made at the local level uh, or was it no, made by the Department of no, Integration? No, th- those decisions are all taken at a, at a higher level. But I suppose we have a role in terms of how those people are welcomed and integrated into the community. But but there's limitations on what we can do in that regard. And I feel in relation to another site, you know, there was a hundred men um, going into a, a hotel um, in the middle of, of Newbridge. And there was a lot more concern and fear around that. And if we don't look at, OK, what, how is the far right? How are these voices tapping into that fear in much the same way that Trump did in America? If we fail to explore how people are so easily wound up into this fear, then we never really address it. So you have to hear people's concerns about safety and we have to win the war in terms of, and the government and the state has to win the war in terms of communicating that people are vetted and, you know, discounting all of that disinformation that we talked about earlier. The other thing, Don Boyle, is that people, you know, are vulnerable to, I suppose, being wound up or exploited about this because they see accommodation for people seeking international protection uh, and everybody else looking for accommodation of whom, as I say, there are 13 and a half thousand in emergency accommodation as being a a zero sum game. So in an ideal world, what should local authorities be able to do in terms of the provision of housing? I mean, I think in uh, in Cork City, there's 1100 social houses, the uh, the reporting in the Irish Examiner, that are at the same stage of the planning process in September just gone as they had been in the previous January. I I saw that report. I don't think it's particularly fair, but the uh, Cork City Council is uh, on average uh, one of the better performing uh, local authorities in terms of housing. For instance, and this would have been a national phenomenon, in 2015, Cork City Council produced one housing unit. Uh, and by the end of next year, our, our, our hope is to have three and a half thousand completed. And that's by offering uh, a whole uh, variety of different housing development But even in such a, a good perform, in such a well-performing council, if, you know, when you, when, when you see a report yeah, that well, says 1,100 1, houses I, I are stuck. I think what that shows is, is something that many of us do experience in local government. There are, are, are bureaucratic obstacles that have to be overcome, both in terms of how, how the resources are provided and how accountability happens between local authorities and the Department of Local Government that, that give an unnecessary, unfair picture. Our experience, I, I would argue, uh, as local representatives is that the nearer the resources can be made available and the decisions effective can be made at a local level, the quicker and the more effectively they get implemented. Uh, right. And the more centralised you are as a country, the more bureaucratic you are in terms of procedures that follow the allocation of resources and the making of decisions, the more complications get put in place. Right, but Dahi Doolan, the local authority can draw the plan but when it comes to paying for that plan that comes from central government and and it, the finances of this are, are tightly controlled aren't they? Absolutely um, there, there's no sense of crisis in the customs house 
There's no sense of housing crisis with the mandarins that run the customs house. And I chaired the SPC, the housing SPC in Dublin. I'm currently still on it. And it is one of the most frustrating factors of local government. Could that, that and should that be devolved to local should, well, government? It should, two things should happen. Two things should happen. They need to reform the four-stage process of accessing planning and funding for local authorities. If you look at, compare the, the, the last report from the department on the production of, of lo- local government housing with 12 months before, there's been very little movement. And the, the, the blame for that lies solely with the Department of Housing and the Minister. What we need is to devolve the power, devolve the funding, give us the funding to do what we do best. And that's build on public land, build on city council land. We were, um, uh, every obstacle and barrier has been put in our way in Dublin City Council to build on our land, the land we owned in O'Devney Gardens, in Oscar Trainer. We were prohibited, blocked, and the bureaucracy, the dead-handed bureaucracy bureaucracy falls in every uh, building opportunity we have. There is, in the pipeline, we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of units simply blocked by bureaucracy that comes from the Celtic Tiger era. It's not fit for purpose. It needs to be reformed and let us all, let us get on and do what we do best and produce houses for those people who need them the most. Emma Blaine, would you like to see more power devolved to local authorities to implement this, to have powers over their own budgets to be able to engage in the building without constantly going cap in hand to the customs house to try and get the finances for, uh, for for local housing? I think we all would like to see that, yeah, Colm. Um, I, I would say for my own local electoral er- 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 area, excuse me, um, that we have been in the top, Glencoe and Sandyford have been in the top five over the last few years nationally of delivering commencements and completions of housing. Um, but there are other obstacles as well in our way. Um, I think there's a mindset change that needs to happen here. There's so many apartment buildings going up and communities aren't necessarily ready for their mindset to to embrace apartment living. So I think there's a communications around that. Um, I think, um, but I think essentially, yeah, we, we need we need more power to be able to do things quicker and more effectively. All right, Fiona McLaughlin Haley, would you be optimistic about any power being because every time you know there's a discussion about Europe, the the the, the, the word that people kind of laugh at has been subsidiarity. That Europe is always supposed to devolve power down to the locust, local most uh, practical level that people can have oversight and an input to decision making at the local level. It doesn't seem to happen on a core area, housing in local authorities. Or across any of the areas in in fairness. And, you know, there's a a European body, the Congress of Local and Regional Authorities of the Council of Europe, um, found that... um, Ireland had limited democratic decision-making powers, was one of the most centralised forms of government in Europe. So, you know, the number of councillors per um, constituents is massively higher in in Ireland than... So we represent a lot more constituents. So we're not as close to constituents as a lot of uh, other European countries. However... While I am supportive of the principle of subsidiarity and bringing local government closer to people... I would absolutely live in fear now and I'm stepping out of politics in a few in a, in a, a few months time at the end of, of my term but I'm still very passionate about it I will still have to elect somebody I will right. still have well, to you, vote you, for somebody You, you live I in fear of what? Of, of giving too I much power or freedom to local authorities? I live in fear of giving more powers to local authorities 
in the way that it is set up at the moment. Because Do you mean local authorities, the executive or the local represent, elected local representatives? Both. So the oversight of local authorities at the moment is very, very weak. And most of the power, as it said in that report from that European body, there is a massive imbalance of power between the chief executive and the councillors. And there is a very strange, like I was listening to Dahi there, Dahi, and you were talking about us and we and... Dublin City Council, like what most people don't understand is the difference in who we are. I am a member of Kildare County Council until it comes to me wanting to access information. So I'm an elected member of Kildare County Council. We are all elected members of our councils. But the other side are the executive, which are the staff of the of the council. And our role right. is theoretically, you know, oversight of them. And that's very weak and does not exist at the moment. All right. Dan Boyle, would you agree with them? What uh, Fiona yes, McLaughlin yeah, is saying uh, in terms of oversight and transparency, would you share her concern about uh, how well set up local authorities I, are I to have power devolved to them? I, I don't think there's any argument about that. Uh, the system of gov- local government in Ireland is the weakest in Europe. Not only that report, but the OECD says that. Uh, what uh, would change that? Should w- would greater power change the, the yeah, well, I think attract the, the oversight, it, or, the or, or do you need the oversight first? Every legislative change that has happened since the 1920s in the state in relation to local government has seen a weakening of powers. There's too many decisions being made uh, at the custom house that should be made at local council level. There's uh, an even distribution between executive members who are appointed and elected members uh, who have a public mandate. Uh, And we we haven't had any any change in local government has been negative in this country. We we have had no positive local government reform at all. Uh, And even at the lowest level, the the decision to get rid of town councils in 2014 in retrospect is, is one of the worst decisions in terms of local democracy we've ever seen. But the, the local councillor has two two effective roles, I believe. One is to be an advocate, uh, to interact with people, to uh, give them information, to react to how they respond to the information, to inform uh, how, how a wider debate should occur in relation to particular issues. And the second is a, as an ombudsman, an ombudsperson, to, to judge the quality of public services. As weak as local government is in Ireland, those are in two very important roles and why we should continue to have uh, strong participation and activity in local government. And I agree it should be like that but we know that it's not. You know, so the Moorhead report that was completed you know, showed that about 5% of the respondents to the survey showed that governance and compliance and oversight of their statutory functions um, was, was part of their daily work and that's really right. worrying in a sector spending over 6 billion euros worth of taxpayers' money. It's, it's, it's staggering lack of, of oversight. Would you agree with that, Dahi Doolin, or would you like to see the powers of, of local reps beefed up? What we, comes first? We, well, what we need to do is trust local government, trust the people who vote for us, and allow us to be trusted with the job that we have at uh, hand. Who, who, is we it, need, who is it doesn't trust the local what, reps? Is, is this, is this I, a I function of very, TDs being very, nervous very, about local very, power very honest, bases building up behind the their backs? People get elected to Leinster House and they, they pull the ladder up behind them. What we need is somebody in, in the Customs House who's willing to trust city councillors, local communities to make decisions that impact on their lives, be it housing. The, the four key things, waste management, taking back the domestic waste collection service, planning, housing and police. 
releasing four key things that should be devolved. And in the Customs House, they've closed ranks, shut us off, and they're trying to suck out the oxygen of democracy from local authorities. This isn't one particular minister, one particular government, it's consecutively. And we need a sea change and a radical shift in power to devolve power to those of us who've got a mandate from from the the public. Because the people making decisions in the Customs House have no mandate whatsoever. They're appointed, they're they're faceless, and they're unaccountable. All right. Emma Blaine, uh, people maybe or in people may be confused as to where the dividing line is between the powers exercised by a TD and the powers exercised by a local councillor. Does that confusion exist also between the local councillor and the TD? <laughs> I think, you know, I think it exists all the time and it particularly exists when it comes it to knocking on doors. It is exploited by local councillors oh, yeah. and TDs. It doesn't just exist, it's deliberately exploited. I, I think um, it's the old cliche that when you go knocking on doors at, at local election time, you're always uh, challenged with the national issues and and the reverse comes to general election times. I think it exists um, within the public and it, it exists sometimes within between and within uh, councillors and TDs. So yeah, there's the reality is that we have very little power as local councillors, but what we can do is advocate on behalf of our, of our constituents. We can do all that we can within that power and we can work together, which we all do. I think I know in my own county council, all councillors, of course, all political uh, parties work together effectively for right. their communities. And that's what we're is doing. Is it a full time job? It is a full-time job. It's supposed to be a part-time job, but it is a full-time job. Um, I um, have another part-time job and I have two small children, so I effectively have three full-time jobs. all of which I love. Um, and council meetings all at night. Council meetings, it depends on the, on the, two, on the two local Two jobs and, and, and other obligations. Um, yeah, yeah. So um, we most of mine are in the evening time. Um, some of them are in the morning time. So that presents its own childcare challenges. And, 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 and yeah, with, with, we have hours for, for other jobs and the like. And so, hours for other right. jobs. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Dahi what's I mean, what's what's the pay like? The pay is, is, is pretty poor. It, it's part-time pay. Uh, for a full-time job. I work in, in Rings End. I work in a community drug project uh, that I helped set up over 25 years ago and I work there very passionate about tackling the drugs crisis and sometimes the jobs link in together. There's, there's a blur there that, that I'm happy enough with and, and four kids as well. They've been raised by... Uh, what is it? It's about, it's about 28,000. It depends as well if you're chair of committee. I don't chair any committee so it's about 20,000 20, and it, it is more than a full... I was way down in, in Ackle for a few days on the way back in the car yesterday three Zooms much to the entertainment of my kids who thought it was hilarious um, talking about micro, micro local issues but it is it's a it's more than a full time job with part time wages and I think um, Does it have an effect some on, people on how are, attractive are, it is? Some people are peeling away from it. I know many city councillors in Dublin, really fine city councillors in all parties are stepping away and I think that's a blow to all of us. I like to operate in cross-party consensus and we need good, strong, articulate, strategic, policy-driven councillors in order to hold the management to account and central government to account and if we don't have them, we'll all be weaker for it. Alright, Dan Boyle, what, what, what do you, I mean, the, the, the payment, it, it's a basic for people staying in but what Dolly Doolan is talking about, there are people, people away and basically being unable to sustain themselves, particularly yep. in high cost city locations. Are you seeing that? I, I, I think there's, there's three categories of people that they're finding it very hard to both bring in and encourage and, and keep in local government to one is younger people. There's increasing uh, incidence of people maybe serving one term or, or resigning before a term has been finished. Uh, uh, female uh, local representatives uh, and councils uh, are, are finding a, a huge lack of support uh, and are, are, ser- are serving similar short terms and 
and having more representative councillors in terms of uh, new Irish communities uh, and our local authorities. So this is going to be a key set of elections. Uh, we, we, we have a local government system that is badly in need of reform, but is also in need of, of people uh, of greater ability who are more representative of society at large. And, and we're going to have very important debates, I hope. All right. and one thing I would just say, I don't want this to be a doomsday scenario. It is great to be a city councillor. I'm proud to be a city councillor. All of us are proud to be political reps. And also you can be a catalyst for change and you're very much in touch with your local community and can sometimes affect change quicker than TDs. We've done some great work in the in the likes of, of, of Cherry you, Orchard. And you, you'd, you'd be happy good. to take a seat in the European Parliament if, if, if so elected. If would the you? good people of Dublin chose that, I'd be delighted to be, be a representative at the highest level to affect the biggest change and to be a catalyst for that change that is so badly needed for many of our communities. But wherever the people chose to put me, I'd be delighted to work at that level. All right. I just wanted the what we t- what we started the program with disinformation and you know antisocial behaviour and the like. Uh, I suppose I leave the final word to um, the two female councillors on this. What's the environment like out there? Uh, for female representatives? Is it as hostile as it is for um, women politicians at the national level? I'll be honest with you. I've had most of the hostility I've experienced has come from within the political circle rather than from constituents. All right. that, okay. That's been very Emma honest Blaine. with you. Um, I am very lucky to work on the only gender balanced um, local authority in the country. So we have a very collegiate atmosphere there and we all work well together. But I know from colleagues around the country that they are experiencing harassment, abuse, stalking, intimidation online. And we are proportionately more affected as women than men. But I would say on a positive note that it is a hugely rewarding um, job and particularly women, particularly younger women have a huge amount to give. All right, there we have to leave it. That's all we have time for today. My thank to all the guests.